Hello, everyone. I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Rural Routes, the program where we gather every day at this time. Well, we do it Monday through Friday anyway. And what we do when we gather is continue to address the issues between rural and urban America. It's that we, the people version with Jenny Swigert. How are you, Jenny? Jen- Jenny? Where's Jenny, Becky? What'd you do with Jenny? I, I don't know. I don't know. I think she slept late. Yeah. Becky McRae joining us from the great region of Alva, Oklahoma. Hopeton. Everybody knows where Hopeton, Oklahoma is. Cattle rancher, blogger, writer, overall life enthusiast, small business champion. Anything else we can put in your accolades, Becky? Oh, my gosh. Former city administrator, former liquor store owner. Um, (laughs) There's a list. (laughs) So you got out of the liquor store business? That seems like a stupid move. Oh, no, it was a good move. But, um, yeah, it's a good business. I'm telling you, and, and liquor and cattle are a good combination because, you know, if, if you know, the one's not doing well, then you hope the other one is. And if not, you can, you know, always drown your sorrows. So, <laughs> Moose and Booze. Okay. Moose and Booze. Oh, my goodness. Was that the name of your shop, Moose and no. Booze? That's awesome. No. Did my you just come John- up with that? No, my friend Jonathan Fields came up with that, and he, he gave it to me. So, <laughs> Moose and Booze. Yeah. <laughs> So tell me about your blogging because you've been a blogger longer than most. Uh, yeah, I started my blog in 2006. That was right after city administrator life. And uh, Okay, I'll interrupt you. Where were you city administrator? Winoka, Oklahoma, population 992 at the time, 93, something like that. So All just right. under 1,000 people. And I was city administrator there for just over a year. And then they said, you know, that's enough of that. And so then I was like, well, I'll go find something else to do. (laughs) Um, And what we did is um, my husband and I bought my mother's liquor store. So then we ran the liquor store for a while. And then what I found was that the liquor business was not nearly as time intensive as the city administrator business. So I had some time. Um, I started sharing things that I knew and that, you know, all these wonderful emails about rural and small towns that I was getting. And I would put them on my blog, you know, instead of like emailing them to all of my friends, I would, um, <laughs> I would post them publicly so they could check it out. So it's called smallbizsurvival.com. And it's been there since 2006, still publishing regularly and um, has brought me so many opportunities and introduced me to so many people. So, uh-huh. uh, Sonny Johnston, your neighbor from Payne County, Oklahoma, he's at Cushing. So I'm going to ask I know you where this. Cushing is. It's the oil capital of North America. Uh, So I'm going to ask you this question, Becky. As a city administrator, as Oklahoma has a a wide variety of towns and cities, obviously Tulsa, Oklahoma City, to uh, Hopeton, what's the right size community? Oh, my gosh. So we've just made this up. This is – there is no – I mean, the right size is the one you like, right? Like you're in a town Mm – 70 people. I'm in a town of 30. So we're obviously so, on the I think Hazard 72. is 72. I haven't counted lately, so I don't know what our actual I should look is. that up. Uh, and we I are split. Go, yeah, yeah, we don't even that. have a census place, right? The census blocks come <laughs> down Main Street, and so we're in separate census blocks. Yeah. Um, so here's the thing. The Office of Management and Budget decided that any town between um, 10,000 and 50,000 is a micropolitan, right? So above 50 is the metropolitan areas. Everybody yeah. 50 to 10 is the micropolitans. And I decided 
you know, we need a town for a name for town smaller than that. Right. Right. So then we've got nanopolitans, which is everybody under 10, but above a thousand. And then we've got picopolitans, which is everybody under a thousand. So I want you all to start using those terms. We're going to get them into the dictionary. Well, you know, you bring up something that is a great discussion because through the years, the USDA talks about rural America. Absolutely. Yeah. But and this is def- a thing. This is a they, thing. They define rural America by a community of less than 25,000. 2,500. 2,500 is rural. Are you sure? Well, I, I was just looking at it because so. I just wrote that article. But anyway, we'll just put it this way. The definition of rural depends on which federal agency you're talking to. Some of them use the USDA standard. Some of them use Office of Management and Budget. Some of them use Census Bureau, right? Like everybody's got their own plan here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like small business. You know, the SBA says that if you have fewer than 500 employees, you're a small business. And I'm saying that if you have Whoa. more than five, you're, <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> you're not a small business anymore. But uh, you know, so those standards, when you when you try to take the entire United States and make one set of definitions for everything, um, it's going to it's going to be like that. Right. Because we have right. some exceptionally large things. We have some exceptionally small things. You know, um, the the county where I'm sitting, Woods County, Oklahoma, there are eight people per square mile. But they're not all spread out. Right. It's not like every square mile has eight people. <laughs> You know, we've got a bunch of them bunched up in Alva. That's where almost everybody is. And then we've got two smaller towns and then people spread rural and then like Hopeton and Avard, which aren't even towns anymore. Um, It's so the definitions are are a mess. They really are. But I really just liked the idea of giving a name and meaning to towns smaller than 10,000. Yeah. Why do we have to label everything, though? I did think of that. I'm like, I don't want to contribute more jargon to the world, right? Like we have right. enough jargon in the world, but I just wanted to use the word. Didn't it sound cool? Nanopolitan. We're the nanopolitan towns. By the way, I beat you in greater Sherman County. We have 5.45 people per square mile. What's your cattle number? Because we have eight people per square mile, but 80 ah. cattle per square mile. So I just love the fact ours is 10, 10 times ah. as much. Yeah, I Robin think Walters gonna... is correcting me here on the size of it is twenty five thousand, and I... you can be rural programs for USDA. So that's yeah. that's different for me. Census, it's twenty five hundred to be the difference between a rural and be, if you're in a if you're a town of twenty five hundred people, you're urban. And so when you look at that urbanized number, like the town of Alva counts towards the urban towns because there's um, what are we at five thousand and eight hundred or something like that. You know, it would be just like the U.S. federal government to have a different definition within a different agency. I mean, why wouldn't there just be one standard? And and who considers 25,000 to be rural? Only somebody that lives in D.C. Somebody who lives in a city, right? I tell you what, I I read an article that was all about we're helping small towns, um, but this wouldn't work in a town of under, oh, I don't know, 10,000. I'm like, you're a moron. That's not a small town. Now, that's the things I say out loud to my computer. So right. um, yeah. I don't usually say that on air for everybody. Sorry. Well, no, I, it's it, early. It, it plays <laughs> well. Early so that's all fine. I wish I had this number and I can't pull it up fast enough to make it work. But yours is probably per- 10 times as many as well. You're probably as cattle? In the same range. Yeah. yeah. Cattle. Guess we're about. 10 I'll times as that. many cattle as people. I know. When you have me of, back on, you'll know it. <laughs> uh, the state of Nebraska. As a whole, I do know that number. We have four K 
cat head of cattle per person, and we have right at 1.9 million people. But I don't okay. know my county. I bet I bet my state number isn't near as impressive as my county number. <laughs> yeah, I know you're absolutely right. So we have just two minutes, and I'm going to cut you off. But okay. we hear a lot about small businesses struggling. One million small businesses went out thanks yeah. to um, a political virus. What's your take? I have no on politics. The, what's your take on the strength of the small business? It's kind of like small towns. They vary. You know, it depends on your business and depends on mm -hmm. the person. Um, we see the whole range. But um, something I learned from a, or that a friend of mine said one time is that small businesses are kind of are a natural process. It's kind of like breathing. There's they come in and they go out, right? And there's there's ones that stay for a long time and endure and are really strong. And then there's constantly businesses that are, have run their course and go away. And then new businesses come in, you know, my liquor store, when I finished with it, it closed because the building belonged to my mother. She wanted the building for other things. And I let her have the building back because that's what needed to happen. Um, mm -hmm. So there's not a liquor store there anymore. And that is qualified as a business failure. So, you don't really think that there's anything other than normal attrition taking place with small businesses? I don't, I don't follow those stats and trends that um, closely to say, okay, well, there's, you know, that this was one particular thing. We know that there will always be a next crisis. There mm -hmm. will be. And it's more likely to be a local one than a national one or global one. Um, but we know there will be more. And so we had the best thing we can do is focus on helping every business owner be more resilient more prepared, more anti-fragile, better prepared for whatever the world throws at us because we all have, you know, we yeah. all have things coming. Well, Jim Mogger actually brings up the greatest point that every small business owner has to deal with today. And Jim, I'm sorry, I did not ask Governor Ricketts last night about the unemployment payment going to people in Nebraska. Every small business right now, I don't care if you're on Main Street or you're in the country with trying to hire kids to put up bales you can't find somebody to work labor yeah. issues and as long as we pay people to do nothing they're going to be inspired to do nothing we'll take if a break you, we hold on yeah, we'll, talk survey. we'll talk survey we'll take a break and we'll be back and talk survey jenny might actually show up we'll see what she's up to hey by the way i want to remind you about certified piedmontese it just so happens i was showing off a picture to becky before you came that's a calf a Piedmontese calf born the natural way on its own this week. It happened. We've had a good run of AI sired calves this week. Certified Piedmontese needs you, the Great Plains cattleman, to be a part of the supply. Get more details about getting paid properly for the beef that you produce at Lone Creek Cattleco.com. Back with the second leg of the journey, maybe with Jenny Swagger after this. <laughs> Welcome back to Roll Route. Try it loose alongside. Really, Jenny? Are you are you there? I am here. Yeah, physically at least. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. you missed the first leg of the journey, just so you know. I know. Why don't Why don't you give me a little brief update? Oh, you'll catch you'll catch up as we go. Well, we were defining small businesses, rural communities, things like that, and we determined that uh, the Census Department has a different definition than the USDA. Oh, absolutely. Craziness. There's no uniformity. And Becky's just about to tell us about surveys. Yeah. Oh, so, all right. The Survey of Rural Challenges is something that I started, you know, I, we mentioned my blog. I started a, just a topic survey and said, what, what do you want me to write about? And so the best things to write about are what 
are challenging people because if it's going well, you don't really, you know, go and search for information about it and show up at my blog and go, oh, I need more information about things that are going well. People are looking for information about their challenges. So that's the way I phrased it. I was like, what would you be excited if we, uh, you know, if I wrote more about this? And um, people told us what they, what their challenges were in their community and in their small business. So uh, that we did that in 2015, 2017, 2019, and we just closed around that. Um, this last year. Yeah, it w- ran in October through January 1st of okay, being so for results. Have they changed? They do change a little bit, but this is the, the big theme is from 2015 to today, what we found was primarily people are more, most focused on the long term challenges in their community. That was that and that it did not change very much related to COVID at all. Um, and that was That's even in October through November and December. And I, I wanted to I wanted to go to the workforce side of that because the challenge of finding good employees has been a challenge, remains a challenge, isn't going to stop being a challenge and was one of the top ranked. It was the top ranking one. And let me look at my notes here. And. That was uh, number one challenge in 2019 and 2017. It was always in the top five before that. So I think that's related mostly to our population. You know, we just don't have as many people as we have things going on. We found this also in volunteer section as well. Like we're all struggling to find volunteers to do the things that we need to get done in our communities, serve on boards, do uh, anything that needs to be happening. So I think it's mostly related to our lack of people. What would your demographics be that are are filling in this survey? They are people that uh, visit smallbizsurvival.com or the other site, saveyour.town, which is Deb Brown mm-hmm. and I do that together and have been since 2015. Right. Um, it was publicized in the Daily Yonder and is also, you know, we'd like to try to spread the word on social media and everywhere online. So besides our own subscribers, um, we try to reach out as much as we can. There have been over the course of all, here's the, sur- the clock, sorry. Um, over the course of all four rounds, it has run um, over 1,400 people total. And they are rural people. Uh, that's the first qualifier is like, okay, this is mm-hmm. a survey for rural people. Um, but we don't put a, we don't have a definition, right? I don't have a, an office of management and budget definition at the beginning that says, I'm going to decide what your rural town is. If you, <laughs> if feel you live more than a town of a hundred, you don't qualify. Anybody over a hundred, we can't let you in. So, um, but we do get a variety and we normally get quite a few Canadians, um, up to a dozen, I think probably over the whole time. And, um, some Australians drop in because they read our site as well. We have some, we have more in common as rural issues um, than you might have guessed, but you know, it's the, it's related to the sparsity of population. So I've spoken in five Canadian provinces, been to uh, Australia five times speaking. There's zero difference. The challenges in rural areas in all of our countries. And quite frankly, there are not many differences between the, um, Europe, or not Europe, excuse me, Andrew, the UK. I mean, people are the same everywhere and the challenges are the same everywhere. You know, we get we get more uh, Australians and Canadians. The UK has a kind of a different vibe because they're so compact of a nation. You know, mm-hmm. England is just compact geographically. 
And so there's a lot more gentrification issues that than most of our broad, you know, more than your town, <laughs> my town. Yeah, absolutely. Like we could use a little gentrification. Uh, here, they have 60 million people that live in an area smaller than Texas. I know. Isn't it crazy? Yeah. To us, it's like, <laughs> all right. Um, one of the, the questions that popped up here, um, there were a couple of things in the, in the chat I wanted to address. One was affordable housing is the biggest challenge to the workforce. Housing is like the top uh, rural community challenge. It's always in the top five as well. I think those two things are related. And then the other question was, do people list reasons for not volunteering? And mostly what we see are people talking about, um, I can't find volunteers to like serve on my committee that, you know, and do things, do things the way I tell them to do, which I think is an old way versus new way thing. Um, Younger people don't want to sign up on your, on your five year officer rotation. And they don't want to serve on your committee year round. They want to show up when there's a thing to do and do the thing. And then they want to go do the next thing. And I think you kind of get sucked into, at least I did when my kids first got into school because I jumped into a two year role and then they wanted me to extend that for two more years. But the whole, this is how we're going to do it. And this is how we've always done it became a challenge for me. Yeah, we call that the you're slicing the pickles wrong challenge, which is where, you know, any little thing is exactly. is cause for being in big trouble for not doing it the way we've always done it, which, right. believe it or not, things may have changed in the world. And it may not really matter how the pickles are sliced. I'd be focused on on the biggest things when you when you're working with your volunteers. No, 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 no. Pickles taste better in a wedge than thin slices. Oh, brother. Well, they do. And that was that was a real story. It was from a church where the the young lady showed up to help the older ladies serve the meal after a funeral. And so here she is. You know, she's the only young woman in the room. She's helping slice, and they chewed her out for slicing the pickles wrong. Right? Is she ever going to help again with the meal? No. That was it. She was there. I don't blame her. I wouldn't go back either. Uh, okay. And then, and then those ladies are going, nobody ever helps with these meals. You know, and that's <laughs> just a special category for it. those church ladies, though. I mean, they got but their own demographic. We all do it. Right? Like Jenny ran into it as well. I'm saying it's a thing. Yeah. I I was able to get through. I went through four years and I st- because of the way the kids are um, – laid out in age um i still had eight years left after those four years and i was like you know what i think i'm gonna step back from you know a leadership role and then i'll try to help out here and there and that's what we did but yeah Yeah. being i wasn't gonna be a 12 year (laughs) well and the the way mom the the way you said it right like help out here and there right when you have a project that i can help with I will help you. And then when that is yeah. finished, I will be done. That is honestly what a whole bunch of us would like from our volunteer roles. We also find, you know, the volunteer statistics show more people do favors for friends and family, help out with small projects in their community than will ever want to serve in that old way committee, subcommittee structure that is still hanging on. And it's a vicious circle because those of us that kind of get burnt out and say, okay, we're done. Well, that just adds to the problem because then there's less leadership type volunteers. So Uh, do we have re or ways to address that or have you still been just kind of analyzing the survey? 
Yeah, the way you address that, we actually developed a method called the idea friendly method. That is like, it's only three parts. It's super simple. It's not like it doesn't come like, you know, with the big graph and charts and like, you know, a flow chart of how you have to do things. It's just gather your crowd when you need people and then build connections. That's where you start asking those questions. Hey, we need this. Who do you know that knows more about that? Who do you know that can help us with this part? Who, you know, who's got the thing that we need? Who can donate a little bit? That's build connections. And then you take small steps. Instead of trying to do the whole big project all at once, you break it down into little tiny pieces. That's the one-minute summary of the method. I, I don't really understand, though, your kid being in school 12 years and not wanting to be a part of PTO, PTA, boosters or whatever, and, and help shape a greater opportunity for your kid as well as the others. She said she was involved. I was. No, for she said she years. quit after four years where well, your kid goes to school for 12. I, she just I wasn't an officer. Is, exactly. I just wasn't an officer yeah. or in a leadership position. And I stepped back. And so then we would help. Um, we did the meal for our school carnival Mm -hmm. PTO fundraiser for three years, I think after that. So, I mean, that's a big, that's a big thing to organize. Um, Yeah. So now you know how to do it. So you're, you're the expert for the next eight. I got to take a break. Neogen (laughs) creating the opportunity. When we talk about those certified Piedmont calves, we need to make sure that they actually possess the myostatin gene. And Neogen is the outfit that gets that done. No matter whether it is your pet it is your chicken, pig, sheep, cow, dairy cow, it doesn't matter. Neogen looks at the genomics and will give you the best estimate estimate on what genetics will be passed on to the next generation. We can no longer take chances. We need to get facts. And Neogen is shining a light on your genetic future. Get details about the genomic DNA fingerprint testing at Neogen.com. More roll out. And we're going to talk about EMS and fire when we get back with more after this. Welcome back. Roll route, Trent Loose, into the second segment. Becky McRae joining us from Woods County, Oklahoma. Jenny Swaggart, Tremont, Illinois. Uh, so Michael brings up a great discussion because we've ever, I think every community yeah. of, of any size deals with challenges in keeping a fully staffed EMS, emergency medical services, and volunteer firefighters because 75% of the firefighters in the nation are volunteers. Those are big issues and not just about how you slice your pickles. Absolutely. I have formally submitted my application and everything two days ago to join our squad. It's taken a while to get to this point. A few months ago, we had a couple of different shows on EMS and volunteer um, and looking at what is the cause, why aren't we getting the volunteers like we need to. And a lot of it goes down to the cost of the schooling. The schooling is going to be $1,200. And I was initially told, well, we might reimburse part of that if you score this or higher. Some places just don't even have that that back up in the financial budget to repay that. Um, So I think that that is a major hurdle that we need to get past. Um, And it looks like a lot of municipalities are given more money from the federal government than for paid roles versus the volunteer roles. Yes, Paul. Uh, Yeah. 
And, but it just comes back to the, the volunteer effort. I mean, somebody has to be that firefighter. Somebody right. needs to be the first responder and the, the ambulance and the EMS crew. There has to be a, a way to find those yeah. people. And it can't be about inspiring them through monetary gain. It has to be the people just feel compelled to be a part of their community. That's the definition of community. And I sense more of that today than I have any time in my lifetime, to be honest. But I don't have $1,200 just laying around to go and take the classes that mm-hmm. start I don't next either. week. So that um, became a problem, and I've been able to be saving for that. Um, but we have currently eight drivers, and we have 12 actual EMTs and firefighters. So between those 20 people, they're taking care of about 2,300 people and there's, um, two to 300 calls a year. Um, what prompted me, I guess, just to kind of give a little background. Um, my son was in a horrible accident, um, just a couple of miles away from our house. And that day it was, um, it was veterans day. It was our very first snow ice incident and there was no one to come to the site and I was the one that actually ended up taking him to the ambulance or, or sorry, to the hospital, um, which was fine. I don't hold any ill will or anything, but that was like, Oh gosh. Okay. Maybe there's a problem here. And then last fall I was working at our grain elevator and we had this enormous fire that started um, by a combine um, bearings got hot and, um, it, I've never seen anything move so fast. And it was 20 minutes before the first fire truck arrived. And had farmers not gotten out and started ripping the fields, the damages, there was a subdivision not too far away. I'm sure it would have gotten that far. So that was another part that was like, oh, wow. Okay, this is something I've always wanted to do. And I think it's time that I actually take the steps to do it. Uh, Jenny, before Becky comments on that, I want you to back up. You said that there are 20 people in the EMS system for 2,300 residents? That is correct. I, I think we have five in the, the whole county, which is 3,000 people. Wow. And that's that's really difficult with how the large or the size of your county and getting to those. Right. I just can't imagine 20. That seems just like way overstaffed and you can't get somebody to show up when you have 20 volunteers in the EMS for a community of 2,300. Something doesn't make sense. We have, we have that issue. Yeah. Mm. It's, it's varies, right? We're back to that question of every town is different and the number of volunteers that run each service is different in each community. Um, coverage is, is highly variable. We're in our county, we're running up against the point where one of the town of 300 population, which is Freedom, Oklahoma, was running an ambulance service and covering goodness knows how many square miles out there. Um, and they couldn't they couldn't do it any longer. So they're they're looking at forming. They have formed the voters approved forming a consolidated district to cover the entire county. Um, mm-hmm. But still, that means the further out you are, the longer your response time is going to be. Um, and I, re- right. I remember this was an issue even more than 20 years ago when I was doing city manager stuff. You know, it was or less than 20 years ago. It's more than 10. Somewhere. <laughs> who, who wouldn't want to be from Freedom, Oklahoma? 
I know. Wasn't, isn't that a great name? Oh my god. They goodness. do a rodeo too. That you should go to the Freedom Rodeo. It used to be um, the biggest open rodeo in the West, right? They were they were still open. You could just show up. <laughs> I don't know if they still are. Don't hold me to that. Because they did get they did do some some events, some sanctioned events too. Yeah, I gotta be honest, I did not know there was a town named Freedom, Oklahoma. I they shut down Main Street and do a dance. I'm saying you should come out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to back up, once I get in there and then I can see you know, what's actually happening, then I can answer that question for you, Trent. No. Um, There's a really good point in here from uh, Robin, who says that in their community, most of the volunteers have corporate sponsors, which are their employers who help purchase equipment and schooling. So that's a different model than I've heard. Um, when I was a city administrator, mm-hmm. we we funded all of that through city budget. Um, there's a state park right near Winoka that is an ATV area. And so there's a huge number of ambulance calls um, and a very high percentage of people who never pay because they don't live here. Um, so they would, they would get in an accident, they would be hauled off by the ambulance and then they would never pay their bill. Um, so there's, I mean, each community has its own unique challenges and, and you got to get creative. I think that, I think having, uh, different businesses in the community that can sponsor, uh, is a, is a pretty good idea. I like that. So yeah. Jenny shouldn't like be that. paying $1,200 as the first step to see if she's even going to stick with it right like that's mm-hmm. a that's right. a terrible barrier right i'm not doing it for a financial gain no I'm, no I'm but you need to go no, in pocket the first thing before you find out whether you know right i'm All doing right. it to support uh, our community uh, i'm pretty sure you could find a sponsor to make that happen jenny if you'd ask or two two businesses would kick in 600 to help you i would think so i'll look into that thank you just just an idea uh, so Becky, back to the, the bigger premise here, being a champion for small businesses, we continue to see more and more national chains. And the one that has to pop into everybody's mind is Dollar General. I mean, Dollar General pops up in every single store. It has to put pressure on that mom pasta or possibly it makes them more efficient and better. But what's your take on how this is shaping the community in rural America? Where it's a, it is a huge factor in shaping our communities. You know, we had the, we had the initial wave of Walmarts going through that was right. a, a similar uh, effect on communities. But Dollar General has been far more pervasive about going into smaller and smaller and smaller communities and still is on this hugely aggressive plan to open even more stores. Um, I, I cry every time I hear that a, a community is paying money to have Dollar General come in with a semi truck and haul money out of their town. It's a it's a very uh, damaging relationship that you end up with um, when you have this kind of this model, which is drain money out of the community in order to make money. Um, You you do a lot better. Snap and Wick to do so. That is their target market. Sure. Yeah. But people keep going there. I mean, everybody is the choice that they end up with. Right. When there's nothing else left, then that's there's a lot of large structural factors that go into this that we could talk Mm -hmm. about the policies. I recommend the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. If you want to talk about policy issues around these, they have a huge focus on the dollar generals of the world. Um, And the local practical thing that you can do. Right. That while you're listening, what can you do is 
support your local businesses and support tinier opportunity for businesses to get started. So take one big retail building downtown that's too big for somebody to fill all by themselves, divide that thing up into booths and let people run lots of little tiny businesses in there. Do everything that you can to make it easier to get started and get a foothold, do more events where you have, you know, you do your business fair where people can set up a booth for a day. That's a smaller barrier to entry than, oh, you have to buy a building, rehab it, remodel it, bring it Mm -hmm. up to code, and then you can fill the whole thing if you can, you know, so that's a huge barrier. Let's, let's get people down to card table size where we can get lots more tries started. Um, That's the practical steps that we can take. Do you get a lot more direct market type companies um, like your Pampered Chef or your Mary Kay and all of that at those events versus starting your own um, storm shelter cleaning company? <laughs> for I tell you what. Yeah, that's a, I, those are two great examples, right? Because we have people running their own home-based thing. You know, they're doing direct marketing. And we want to, you know, if they're making money, then we're good with that. And so, you know, if they want to run a booth, fine. Um, if they want to have a card table set up at the, at the, on the sidewalk at the downtown shop and stroll, then okay. I'm okay with that because it helps add diversity that you don't otherwise have in your, in your retail base. Um, but you do want to make opportunities for people to start. And if they're going to do storm shelter cleaning, I am all for that. Um, because the community shelter up the street has black widows up in the door frame, right? Like we ought to clean those out before it's time to use the storm shelter. Um, lots of communities. There's a great community in uh, Norfolk County, Ontario, does a youth entrepreneurship program over the summer. They give every kid 50 yeah. bucks to start a business and they can start any kind of business they want. And they do all kinds of things. It's a very intensive and beautiful agricultural area. They have a huge diversity of products. And so there's kids selling every kind of ag thing. Their kids doing all kinds of services. And then at the end of the summer, if they will turn in a one page, this is how much money I spent. This is how much money I took in. Therefore, I, you know, here's my bottom line, very simplified business, uh, profit and loss kind of statement. If they'll turn that in, they get a $50 bonus for turning that in at the end. So kids have to learn a little bit about the bottom line because they have every incentive to do so. So really cool program. Lots of kids start businesses there and they end up being far more entrepreneurial as a community because they're encouraging that every single summer. They started really small just with like a, just the $50 and like 10 kids. And now it, it just continues to grow. And now we have to take a break. I want to remind you that it starts today. The official launch is today in Atlanta, Georgia. Arise USA. The Resurrection Tour is underway. Coming to Georgia, Birmingham, Alabama tomorrow, Milton, Florida on Saturday, and then New Orleans on Sunday. See you in the Arise USA Tour. We'll be back with the last segment of Roll Route after this. Welcome back. Roll out, Trent Lewis alongside Becky McRae joining us from Hopeton, Oklahoma. Right down the road from Freedom, Oklahoma. Suddenly, the new place. I, I thought I always wanted to be a mule shoe, Texas, but now I think I want to go to Freedom, Oklahoma. I don't Any know. Swagger. Those spiders. <laughs> those, the spiders are not in Freedom. Freedom's all on its own, right? Like Freedom's out there. Freedom is beautiful, beautiful Western country. Do a little search. Freedom, Oklahoma. So, uh, you know, there's one issue with everything that we're talking about here. And the reason 
that Dollar General comes in and succeeds is back to what we brought up at the very beginning of this discussion. And that is that give kids 50 bucks and they don't want to be entrepreneurial. Give kids the opportunity to pay them to come and clean up a barn and they, they don't need it. They're, they're given everything they could possibly want today. They have no incentive to work. We have to build back the work ethic before we can talk about de- developing entrepreneurialism. I wish I could give you the reasoning and I don't know, but just moving from school districts, mm-hmm. kids here in, we're just very lucky that my, our kids have a very good work ethic. And so they are totally entrepreneurs. They are coming up with um, businesses to fly a drone and take pictures or mowing, um, cleaning ditches. I mean, my kids are doing all sorts of stuff, but it's not just them. It's when I was sitting and listening to a group of FFA students, you know, they all have all these ideas. Like one kid is looking into starting to sell solar panels. Um, there's other kids that want to redo tractors. Um, and I, I, again, I don't know what the difference is between the two areas, which are right next door to each other. But I'm really impressed with this age group, I guess, middle school and, you know, freshman, sophomore year. Um, is that something that you are seeing across the nation? Like you say, it's variable, right? Like we see that it depends on where you are. And we find that some communities are more entrepreneurial than others. One community, Tynesta, Pennsylvania, population, um, I want to say they're almost 500. So (laughs) puts them in the picopolitan size that we just created earlier on the show. Um, The They don't feel like they have a good entrepreneurial base and they don't feel like they have a good, you know, that they're, that they're, um, they don't have that entrepreneurial spirit as much as they would like to have. And so um, one thing they're doing, they're working with the schools to get more entrepreneurial stuff going on in the schools. Um, and then they've also created something that they took an empty lot. They put sheds on it like you would put in your backyard, dressed them up and painted them to look like little downtown businesses and those oh. are now available for rent for businesses. And they have had a waiting list since the day they opened or day they announced. Um, they've been full the whole time. They never have an empty spot as people come in here and they run little tiny businesses. And they have everything from there's the bakery from the next town that uses one. They come over on the weekends and bring fresh baked goods. Um, otherwise, there's no fresh bakery in town. Um, the winery that's based out in the country and doesn't have a downtown building of their own rents a shed all summer and sells wine in town. And there's one lady that is um, she's when we met her, she was on her third round of cancer treatment and wasn't able to hold a job. She was in her seventies, um, but she could sew most days. And so she would sew doll clothes and she would go every uh-huh. summer. She spends her weekends selling doll clothes to little girls. And this is something she can manage most of the time based on her health right now. And it only works because it's a little teeny tiny opportunity. She could never fill a giant downtown building, but she can fill a garden shed over the summer. And so I think the key to making your community more entrepreneurial is looking for opportunities to start younger and to let Mm -hmm. everyone start smaller. It it really comes back to you get what you expect. If you expect your kids to excel, they will. If you expect them to just take a handout and be lazy, they will. 
And maybe that's something we do not do. Um, like we don't give them money on a weekly basis or anything like that. You know, they have mm -hmm. to earn thing money on their own yeah. in order to buy those extra games and things. Yeah, I asked my dad for an allowance one time. Allowance. I never did it again. Because he started tabulating what my board and rent and food would cost. And so Probably it was like, your oh. bill was high when you were a kid. <laughs> Teenage oh, boys yeah, eat a lot absolutely. of food. I ate a lot of food. I still eat a lot of food. You should eat a lot of food, but you should also burn it off. So I got to work on that exercise. But it's, you know, how many people do whatever you need? Just give them whatever they need. They got to earn I, it. You're, you're instilling that work ethic now. Yeah. Very true. Very true. I hope my train going through town isn't bothering y'all. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's no. really laying on the horn. Do, does the, does the uh, railroad come in and give grants to the community for being that nuisance? Uh, no, we they do, we, do that. They do. I, I have. I know towns where they do that. Well, we're not that. <laughs> we don't have that much pull with the railroad around here. <laughs> you should ask. You get what you expect. Expect exactly. Them. Exactly. You know, you should I, I'm sorry. The I was a I was a town administrator, and I had to deal with the railroad. And if I never have to deal with the railroad again, then that is good with me. <laughs> yeah, but you should go to the railroad and say. You know what? To compensate for all this uh, nuisance, what we're going to do is we're going to ask you to donate a little bit of money to build this little entrepreneurial mall in the middle of Hopedale, Oklahoma, Hopetown, <laughs> Oklahoma, and you'd be surprised what they'll do. It'd they be interesting would. to see. We'll send the I, mayor down. There you go. I mean, it never hurts to ask, does it? No, it doesn't. call my neighbor the mayor because he talks to everybody. So we'll send him down to talk to Send the him girl. down there. You're going to be yeah. shocked. There's and I guarantee program. you they donate $1,200 to send somebody to EMS training. Yeah. 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 Look at how many derailments we have had recently. Mm -hmm. um, it's, and I'm sure it's different railroad companies, but that's been a big thing here lately. And I don't know why. Um, just really strange. We mm. do have a program called CEO, and I'm not sure. I know that that's... one. You're in okay, Illinois. I don't know. In Illinois, yes. And yes. So um, my my oldest son's girlfriend went through it, and she started her own photography business, and just awesome. And then a friend, Holly Spangler, her daughter, Jenna Spangler, has come up and she has built this ice cream business and she has continued with it. And I think that they're going to serve at our, our state fair this year. It's really been an oh, awesome, you, you awesome think you'll day. actually have a state fair? We have received the official word. <laughs> Although, like Jeff says, like, yeah, you know, a year ago we were going to have a turkey festival too. And it yeah. didn't happen. But we're having a turkey festival also. Okay. Well, good luck. But we'll see. Hey, um, if you got somebody selling ice cream, I'm all in. Come through Western Illinois, and Jenna can hook you up. I don't. I can't think of the name of the website, or I'd give it to you. Um, but yeah, that's their their plan is to do that at State Fair, and then I think she's got it at all kinds of different shops throughout their county, Fulton County. That great philosopher, Ed Strathman, he, he pretty much nails it. Don't buy your child a, a childhood if you can't buy them a life. 
Oh, I like that. Yeah. Hey, we made it to the top of the hour, Becky. Sorry. <laughs> Don't be sorry. We that's like the train going through. It you know, it keeps us my grandma had a clock like that. I wish I had a clock like I that. I was just going to say my grandma and grandpa do and my grandpa turns 98 today. I'm not today. that old. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they're still living on their own. Um and doing great but he's always had a fascination with railroads and with that that huge cuckoo clock yes yeah the grandfather clock yes grandfather yeah. clock yeah yeah that's exactly what that reminded me of um but yeah he's 98 years young and still doing more than what a lot of people who are a lot younger than him all right, Becky, the final two minutes, I want you to give us your sense of the health and wellness of the small business entrepreneur in rural America. Remarkably resilient. Rural business owners that are have made it through boom and bust cycles and commodity priced crashes in the past. And, you know, most of our towns have gone through various evolutions of changing their economic reason for being entirely. Rural entrepreneurs are a resilient, creative, innovative group of people. Um, and I just encourage all of you, look for opportunities to support your own local entrepreneurs. And to when you when you see a young woman selling ice cream or a young man restoring tractors, get out there and support yeah. them all you can. So do, do you have a way of tracking or actually putting some uh, some meat, pun intended, to the concept that the agricultural dollar turns over seven times in a rural community. Um, I am not an academic, and I do not have those numbers for you. Contact contact mm-hmm. your extension service. Yeah, well, that'll be the last that. person I contact, to be honest. But anyway, but we, we we tend to lose sight of that 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 farm dollar turns over seven to nine times. And, and your local retailer dollar turns over. Uh, Two thirds more of the money stays in the community when it's a local retailer versus buying at that chain. So that's a more incentive for you to do that. Your agricultural dollars are extremely important for most of our rural communities. Ag still forms an important base of reasons that people are in our little communities that they're in. Um, so absolutely. And, and ag is so much more diverse than people give it credit for. Right. Ag represents a huge range of things. See, you are an economist. Repeat that number because that's the most important thing we've said since we started. Two-thirds of the dollars spent at the local retail outlets stay in the community. That's twice as much as at a chain. Yeah. Well, so really, that's, that's, that's the summation, Jenny, of everything we need to talk about today. Exactly. I mean, if, you have, if you're lucky enough to have your own grocery store still, which we are, mm-hmm. be a patron there. Be it, you know find those small businesses in your town. I know that it kind of cuts out on the convenience part. I get that, but, but the, it's, it's so worth it in the long run for your community and the health of your community. All right, Becky McCray, 15 seconds. Your word, your parting words of wisdom today. Uh, be more open to new ideas. That's the idea friendly method. Oh, that was- I like that profound and quick we've successfully journeyed down the road connecting rural and urban america and focusing on freedom and liberty actually liberty illinois 
I, I grew up next to Liberty, Illinois. Yes, you did. Now I want now I want to go to Freedom, Oklahoma. All three of us remind you that all roads do lead to a roll route. Tired of taking a commodity price for your calves? Add value and then not reap seek the rewards of the value? Lone Creek Cattle Company puts it all together for you. Certified Piedmontese will pay you what your cattle are truly worth. Get details at LoneCreekCattleCo.com.